Greetings, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here this fine day, Open Line Friday, 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. Although, uh, save your breath right now because you're not going to get in because we got to deal with all the breaking news. First, I got a note. Uh, Charlie, Jim, and I are working. Philip is on a boat fishing. John, who y'all don't know, he's on a golf course taunting me with pictures from his golf course. So Jim and Charlie and I at least have a work ethic. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bob Menendez is indicted by the federal government. My goodness gracious. Uh, and of course, the Democrats are saying, see, we told you there wasn't justice for for everybody. Although a lot of the progressives, they hate Bob Menendez. They, they, they think he's too pro-Israel. This is actually kind of amazing, but there's a side to the story that isn't being talked about and needs to. Before we get to that, however, I want to read you parts of this indictment. Uh, so the United States of America, this indictment is unsealed now. Uh, they are suing Bob Menendez, the senator from New Jersey, and his wife, Nadine uh, Menendez, and three others. From at least 2018 up in up to and including 2022, Menendez and his wife, engaged in a corrupt relationship with three New Jersey associates and businessmen. Menendez provided sensitive U.S. government information and took other steps that secretly aided the government of Egypt. Around June of 2022, federal agents executed search warrants on the New Jersey home and safe deposit boxes of the Menendezes. In conducting these court-ordered searches, agents found corrupt uh, fruits of corrupt bribery, including cash, gold, luxury vehicle, home furnishing. Get this, get this. This is a line in the indictment. Over $480,000 in cash, much of it stuffed into envelopes and hidden in clothing closets and a safe were discovered in the home, along with over $70,000 in a safe deposit box. Some of the envelopes contained the fingerprints or DNA of one of the other indicted parties or his driver. Some of the envelopes were found inside jackets bearing Menendez's name and hanging in his closet. I mean, he was literally stuffing $100 bills in the pockets of jackets in his home. The indictment says information wasn't classified but was highly sensitive and was shared very shortly after Menendez uh, sought it. Here, here's here's what we here's from the indictment. Menendez and his wife met with one of the other parties on May 6, 2018. Later that same day, the senator sought from the State Department non-public information regarding the number and nationality of persons serving at the U.S. Embassy in Cairo, Egypt. Although this information was not classified, it was deemed highly sensitive because it could pose significant operational security concerns if disclosed to a foreign government or made public. Without telling his professional staff or the staff of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee or the State Department that he was doing so, on or about May 7, 2018, Senator Menendez texted the sensitive non-public embassy information to his then-girlfriend, now Mrs. Menendez, writing, just FYI, redacted Americans, combination of diplomats, commercial service, U.S. aid, other X number of Egyptians, locally employed staff. This is what's at U.S. Embassy. Mrs. Menendez, currently then at the time his girlfriend, forwarded the information, who then forwarded it to an Egyptian government official. 
Menendez also allegedly ghostwrote a letter for Egypt seeking to convince his fellow senators to release aid. From the indictment, Menendez secretly edited and ghostwrote a requested letter on behalf of Egypt seeking to convince U.S. senators to release a hold on $300 million in aid to Egypt. Menendez and his wife deleted the email in which Mrs. Menendez had asked Mr. Menendez to write the letter. And then there's this timeline. So one of the indicted people is Wail Hanna, also goes by Will Hanna. Over the next two days, on or about May 22nd and 23rd, 2019, Wail Hanna, the defendant, provided Mrs. Menendez with a variety of materials regarding the U.S. Uh, DA's objections to a monopoly, some of which Hanna received from an Egyptian official. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture objected to the monopoly a corporation had on grain in Egypt. On or about May 23, 2019, Robert Menendez called a high-level Department of Agriculture official and insisted in some and substance that the Department of Agriculture stop opposing the company's status as the sole halal certifier. Several days later, Mrs. Menendez texted Senator Menendez to complain that the other defendants had not made payments, writing, I'm so upset that an envelope of money had not been left, remarking, I thought Fred would make sure it's there, and it's the second day in a row there's nothing. She also wrote, I thought after everything that happened since last Saturday and that week, referring to Senator Menendez meeting with an Egyptian official, that at least he would honor his word one time. I don't know if I should text him or wait. Menendez replied, no, you should not text or email. So she called him. On or about June 23rd, two days after a private meeting between Senator Menendez and an Egyptian official, another defendant, Will Hanna, purchased 22 one-ounce gold bars, each with a unique serial number. Two of these one-ounce gold bars were subsequently found during a court-ordered authorized search of the residence of Menendez and his wife. During the relevant time period, the spot market price of gold was approximately $1,800 per ounce. Now, here's one of the funniest parts of this. Here is one of the funniest parts. A day after getting the gold bars, Bob Menendez Googled how much is a gold bar worth. <laughs> like literally gets the gold bar and the next day Googles, how much is this worth? On or about December 2020, Robert Menendez met with an individual who would later be nominated to be the U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey. In the meeting, Menendez criticized the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of New Jersey's prosecution of Fred Dibes, who is one of the defendants. Menendez subsequently informed the uh, would-be U.S. Attorney that Menendez would not put forward the guy's name to the White House for recommendation for the position of U.S. Attorney and would be recommending someone else. During the period of time in or around spring of 2020, an individual associated with Menendez spoke to the U.S. Attorney nominee and discussed, among other things, the possibility of him recusing from the prosecution of Fred Dibes, the defendant. Subsequently, the advisor informed Menendez that the advisor believed the U.S. Attorney would likely not have to recuse from the prosecution. My goodness gracious. The corruption goes on and on and on and on. Now there's this one. Remember, Dibes is one of the defendants. Menendez was fixated on a recliner. He wanted a recliner. Dibes responded, 
I don't want him to be upset over it. This is not his fault. He was amazing in all he did. He's an amazing friend, as loyal as they come. How is his shoulder? How is the shoulder and sleeping? Let me know if I can get him a recliner. It helps me sleep. And then provided a recliner from Menendez. <laughs> My gosh, the level of corruption. I mean, I, this is good. Now, remember, in 2018, this is relevant. This is very relevant. In 2018, there was an investigation into Bob Menendez, and it was dropped. His indictment was dismissed in January of 2018. What's remarkable is that his pattern of corruption with Egypt began in 2018 after that indictment was dropped. And then he tried to block Joe Biden's appointed, recommended uh, appointee for U.S. Attorney for New Jersey unless the guy recused himself from an investigation into a man named Fred Dibes, who's now indicted with Menendez. Talk about corruption. But there's something here that needs to be mentioned. It has been reported for over a year that Menendez was being investigated by the U.S. attorney for corruption involving a foreign government. This has been known for a year. Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, has allowed Bob Menendez to remain chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee during that time, where one of the allegations is that Menendez was passing classified and highly secret information to foreign governments. Why was Chuck Schumer and the Democrats, why were they allowing Menendez to do this? Why did Chuck Schumer and the Democrats allow Menendez to stay on as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, while being investigated. They knew he was being investigated. They knew he was being investigated. He wasn't indicted, and he's not guilty. He's, he's innocent until proven guilty. But the allegations have been out there for a year that Menendez was trading in classified information for money. Those allegations have been out there. The U.S. Attorney's Office confirmed an investigation into him, a second investigation after the first indictment was removed, and Chuck Schumer allowed the man to remain chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, dealing in classified confidential information the whole time. Why? Why did Chuck Schumer do this? He's willing to make exceptions for John Fetterman to be able to wear his garbage clothes on the floor of the Senate? He said he couldn't put the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff up for a vote until the moment he did this week? And he left Bob Menendez in place. Why did Chuck Schumer do that? I, I, I think we need to know. Well, when the U.S. Attorney's Office notifies a person that they're the target of an investigation, stuff's getting real. Chuck Schumer's the leader of the Senate. His job is to preserve the integrity of the Senate. That's part of the job of the leader of the Senate. It's not just to be the leader of the party, but to lead the United States Senate. And instead, Chuck Schumer allowed Bob Menendez to be chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And Chuck Schumer is allowing John Fetterman to degrade the decorum of the Senate with his, with his dress. By the way, Democratic senators are starting to push back on this and say they're going to force a vote to keep the rule uh, for suits. Why is Chuck Schumer doing all this? You know if it were a Republican, if it were Mitch McConnell in charge. And McConnell had left a senator like Menendez in charge of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. It would be a multi-day story. The Republicans would all be grilled 
Where is the media outrage over Chuck Schumer leaving Bob Menendez in charge? He knew Menendez was under investigation for more than a year. Chuck Schumer has known Bob Menendez was under investigation. And now we know he was giving confidential information to the Egyptians in return for cash and gold bars found in his house. Innocent until proven guilty, but pretty serious when the U.S. attorney comes calling. Why did Chuck Schumer allow Bob Menendez to be in charge of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee when he's known for a year the man was under a serious investigation? He's degraded the Senate for John Fetterman, and he's compromised the security of the United States by allowing Menendez to continue on as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee while being investigated for trading gold bars for American secrets with foreign governments. Chuck Schumer should be held accountable for this as well. And you and I both know if it was a Republican in charge of the Senate, the media would make sure there was accountability. But for Chuck Schumer, I suspect they'll give him a pass. Want to be on the show? Hello? Hello? I love your show. Call Eric now at 877-973-7425. Erica, uh, my buddy Todd just texted me. He's listening. He rarely gets to listen live. He's driving his... Uh, son is in a football game tonight in Johns Creek, Georgia. Uh, their team, uh, FPD from down here in Macon, my church's school, is playing at Johns Creek. And so he and his son Jackson are in the truck headed to Johns Creek, avoiding traffic, getting there early. Good for them. Uh, and so, hi, Todd. I'm glad you're able to listen live. Y'all, I, I got to thank the uh, Conservative uh, Policy Leadership Institute here in Georgia. They gave me an award last night. It was very, very kind of them. The chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee in Georgia, uh, the attorney general uh, as well were there, and they gave me an award for principles, for sticking up to my principles. I, You know, I, I mentioned yesterday, I, I, I used to, like, wonder why am I not getting these 40 under 40 or 30 under 30 awards, uh, and then I realized it's all about connections, who you know, and now I'm getting this award for sticking to my guns and standing for principles, and I'm like, I'm too young. I'm too young. I save it for another decade. But now that I've got it, I guess I can sell myself and say, no, no, I got the award. <laughs> but it was it was very, I, look, I, I appreciate it. I, I do. And, and I, I want to tell you what I told them, that you and I should be able to disagree on issues and still be friends. And nowadays we live in a world where everyone is so tribal and, and so religious in their tribal beliefs that uh, you either agree and see eye to eye on everything, or you're a heretic, and, and you got to burn them. Uh, and and we can't, as a society, go on with that. We may dislike rules and laws that are in place in this country, but it is the rule of law, not the rule of man, that sets us apart from so many other countries. And we should be uh, respectful of what the law and the rules do. And and I do think you got a note for all these Democrats who lash out at Republicans for trying to upend democracy and the rule of law. Democrats have been doing this for a long time. Republicans just learn from them, and they don't want to be honest about it. I mean, before Republicans were storming the U.S. Capitol, Democrats were storming state capitals to try to obstruct legislatures. Republicans just took it to the logical next step. that You can't demand one side's fealty to the law while the other side ignores it altogether. We all need to stick to principle. And the principle, first of all, in this country should be the rule of law. So thank you to them for that kind award last night. It was it was unexpected and much appreciated. Now, I got to tell you, the night before I spent time with Americans for Prosperity, I'm a big fan and believer in this group. They fight for limited government. They fight for free markets. They fight for free people. They fight for you. 
against Joe Biden. They're running a bus tour around the country right now to explain why Bidenomics is bad, to explain how government policy is causing prices to go up and and getting the economy uh, just out of whack. And they want you on board with them. They want to educate you. They want to motivate you. They want to give you the tools and the knowledge with which to persuade your local officials and your next-door neighbor uh, that limited government, free markets, and free people is a good thing. I hope you might reach out to them, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. When I did the event in Georgia the other night for them, they were talking about all the state legislative things they've done here to deregulate. They do it around the country. They've got chapters in over 36 states where they fight for free markets and free people. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Sign up with them. Be a part of a bigger cause than just yourself. Uh, you just just give me a minute. Just I'm I'm coming. I'm the phone number eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I realize I'm I'm supposed to be professional. <sighs> Y'all, I need to move. I I need to move. I don't understand. Why UPS decides that I got to be the last drop-off of the night. I got my iPhone coming. I got my new watch coming. Expected delivery time, 8 p.m. I got to be at a homecoming game. 8 p.m. For my, I should have had it delivered to my office, I guess. Good gracious. Estimated delivery time was between 2.15 and 6.15, and now it's like 8 p.m. tonight. I guess everybody else is going to get their watch and phone before I do. That's okay. All right. I'll, I got to move on. I'm, I want my phone. It's buttons. It's electronics. Yes, it's my idol. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Enough, enough about me not getting my phone. I, I got to correct the record from yesterday. Um, I, and I need to redo something I talked about yesterday because I got something wrong. Don't ever say I don't correct myself because I do when I get something wrong. And in fairness to me, it was old data. On yesterday's program, I talked about our funding of Ukraine and how essentially 80 to 85 percent of the money comes back to the United States. That's actually not right anymore. Uh, it's 61 percent. I want to explain this to you now that I've got the updated data. Uh, and this is an article uh, from the Council on Foreign Relations that's actually done the deep dive in this and um, the estimates from the U.S. government. The uh, source, just so you know, is from the Keele Institute for the World Economy. I want to break this down for you. I have a real and genuine frustration with the Biden administration that transcends partisan politics. I support funding Ukraine. I do. Doesn't mean we shouldn't do it differently. Doesn't mean there are things we can't tweak. But I support it, and I, I I don't expect you to agree with me. I'm not here to browbeat you into agreeing with me. I do want to explain it to you from my perspective. Ukraine is a troubled country, true, and it deals with corruption, as do a lot of countries uh, that have come out from under the clutches of the Soviet Union. That's true. But Ukraine had actually been headed in a Western direction. And as Ukraine moved into more of a free market economy, and as Ukraine moved more to a Western government, 
uh, the corruption was more and more minimized, and uh, there were greater prosecutions of corruption. Not only that, though, there was greater economic liberalism, and as economic liberalism came in, political liberalism came in as well. It's not perfect, and it has had problems, and those problems have been around very documented for a long time, but it was headed in the right direction. And as Ukraine headed in the right direction, the Russians began funding political opposition in Ukraine that was corrupt. It was uh, sympathetic to Vladimir Putin. It was turning the country against the West, and the people twice rose up in protest and ousted governments that the Russians were funding. So the Russians came in, and when Barack Obama was president, they took over Crimea. Now, I got issues with that, but historically... Everyone who's a student of history needs to understand that Moscow has long claimed Crimea for itself. Catherine the Great led a great conquest of Crimea when she was the Tsarist of Russia. So you can understand the Russians wanting Crimea, one, because of their historic interest, and two, because they had a port there. It was their only warm water port. The Russians have no warm water ports except for the Crimea on the Black Sea. So even if you disagreed, you could at least understand why they wanted it. They had a long-term deal with Ukraine. They were worried that as Ukraine moved more to the West, that might be in jeopardy. So they snatched it. But that's different from what's happening now. What's happening now is a mass invasion of eastern Ukraine claiming that it is historically Russian territory, and it's not. They have been ruthless in kidnapping children. They have committed war crimes. The problem here is that the Russians have ambitions of restoring the vestiges of the Russian Empire. So it's one of Vladimir Putin's stated long-term goals. We have NATO treaty obligations with other countries like um, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, countries that the Russians have been saber-rattling as well. Romania, another good example. They don't want to go back into a Soviet sphere, and the Russians have been surreptitiously, politically, and militarily trying to pull them in. We would get dragged into a fight with Moscow if they moved beyond Ukraine. And if they were successful in Ukraine, they would be emboldened to expand their sphere of influence, and we want it stopped. The Biden administration, Republicans in Congress, the military, the European powers, they all came up with a pretty good idea. Let's give money and arms to Ukraine and let them fight for their homeland. We won't send our soldiers. We won't send our troops. We may send people to train them on how to use the weapon systems, but we'll do that in Poland. We'll keep our soldiers out of Ukraine. We probably have special operators in Ukraine helping them, but by and large, we don't. I keep hearing from conservatives who are freaked out. I don't want my sons and daughters dying in Ukraine. As long as we're doing this, they're not dying in Europe, period. Not even Ukraine. And here's how we have structured the funding of this Ukraine arrangement. We are sending them, right now it totals about $76.8 billion. $46.6 billion of that, or 61%, is military. That 61%, that $46.6 billion actually comes back to us. $26.4 billion, or 34% of the money, comes in uh, aid in the form of loans and other financial support. 5% is in the forms of emergency food assistance, health care, refugee support, and humanitarian aid. 
5% of the money we're sending to Ukraine outright. 90 to 95% of the money to Ukraine actually gets repaid to us. The Ukrainians will repay 90 to 95% of the money we give them. It's We're loaning it to them. We're not giving it to them. I say 90 to 95% because part of the financial assistance we're giving are grants to institutions for economic support. Uh, and I'm not precisely sure what the number is, but 90 to 95% of the money is going to be repaid to us in the form of a loan. And that loan is guaranteed by the European Union. Now, it is true that the United States is spending more money than any other country individually on Ukraine, but per capita, we're not. Per capita, based on GDP, we're not even the top 10 countries giving money to Ukraine. Not only that, though, though we are spending more money than any other country. When you add Europe together and treat it as a block, Europe is spending $2 for every dollar we're spending. The European Union is spending more money than the United States. Individually, you take the European Union money and the direct aid from European countries, they're spending $2 for every dollar we're spending. So we're not actually, if you consider Europe, we're not actually the biggest giver of money to Ukraine. But there's a difference. Most of the European money going to Ukraine is in the form of direct grant. Most of the money that we're spending on Ukraine is in the form of a loan subsidized by the Europeans. But not only that, 61%, $46.6 billion so far that we've sent to Ukraine actually comes back to the United States. How? We give Ukraine $46.6 billion thus far, and the Ukrainians turn around and spend $46.6 billion on American arms. What are those arms? Infantry arms and equipment, 10,000 Javelin anti-armor systems, 80,000 other anti-armor systems, 2,000 Stinger missiles, 35,000 grenade launchers, 100,000 sets of body armor, night vision devices, surveillance systems, 198 155-millimeter howitzers, 72 105-millimeter howitzers, 67 81-millimeter mortar systems, 10 82-millimeter mortar systems, 38 HIMAR laser systems, 60,125-millimeter uh, grad rockets, precision-guided rockets, 186 Bradley infantry fighting vehicles, four Bradley fire support team vehicles, 31 Abrams tanks, 2,000 Humvees, 731 tactical vehicles, 100 light tactical vehicles, 68 trucks, 124 trailers, 10 command post vehicles, four satellite communications antennas, two radars for drones, 21 air surveillance radars, two Harpoon coastal defense systems, 62 coastal and riverine patrol boats, unmanned coastal defense systems, Scan Eagle drones, Puma drones, Jump 20 drones, Penguin drones, Black Hornet drones, Switchblade drones, Phoenix Ghost drones, Altius 600 drones, 20 MI-17 helicopters, high-speed anti-radiation missiles, precision aerial munitions, 6,000 Zuni aircraft rockets, 20,000 Hydra 70 aircraft rockets, anti-drone gun truck ammunitions, Avenger air defense systems, one Patriot air defense battery and munitions, Hawk air defense systems, laser-guided rocket systems, AIM-7 missiles, RIM-7 missiles, AIM-9M missiles, anti-aircraft guns and ammunition, port and harbor security equipment. All of that stuff we're sending Ukraine, we're not actually sending to Ukraine. Ukraine's buying it from us. Those are jobs in Texas. Those are jobs in Maine. Those are jobs in Georgia. Those are jobs in Alabama. Those are jobs in California. Those are jobs in Washington State. Those are jobs around the country. All that money, that roughly $50 billion comes back to us. It flows back to us. 
90 cents of every dollar that we send to Ukraine will be repaid as a loan. 61 cents of every dollar comes back to us as a direct payment to American military suppliers for equipment. Some of it goes to the Polish or the British. They buy surplus equipment from them, and then the British and the Poles turn around and buy upgraded equipment from us. But ultimately, 61 cents of every dollar we send to Ukraine comes back in the form of a direct military purchase, and 90 cents of every dollar comes back as in the form of a loan repayment. So we're not actually losing a bunch of money. And in total, it amounts to 5% of the defense budget of the United States. Not 5% of the total American budget, 5% of the Defense Department budget. So we spend 5% of the Defense Department budget giving this to Ukraine, and then Ukraine turns around and buys weapon systems from us, creating and supporting jobs in the United States. It's what we did in World War II when we were the arsenal of democracy. Now, you can say, well, we, we can't spend 5% of the Defense Department budget on Ukraine because we can't secure the border, and I think you're thinking too small about the United States, and we should be able to do both. And that we can't do one doesn't mean we shouldn't do the other. It means we should throw Joe Biden out and do both. And that's my justification for it. You, you can disagree with me. I just want you to explain to explain my perspective. But then I want to note something else. What I've just told you is all factually true. If you subscribe to my show notes email, I put the link in to my show notes email today. So you can see those charts. You can see that data for yourself. You can see all of it for yourself. It's documented as to where it's coming from, from the U.S. Defense Department, from the U.S. Agency for International Development, from the, the Kill Foundation in Washington, D.C. You can document it. You can follow it. You can see it for yourself. We're spending 5% of the money of the Department of Defense and of that 5%, uh, more than four out of five of those dollars come back to us. Why am I able to make this case and Joe Biden's not? That's what bothers me. It's not at a partisan level. I am able to make the case to you about supporting Ukraine. I'm able to show you that it's less than 5% of the defense budget that we're spending, and most of that money comes back to us in the form of loans and also comes back to us in the form of payments to American uh, military suppliers. So, in effect, we get the money back double. We're going to get more money back from Ukraine than we're sending to Ukraine the way the deal is structured. It's a good financial deal for the United States, even if you disagree with funding Ukraine. But the fact of the matter is I'm able to articulate it. I'm able to give you those facts. And why am I doing that? That should be the job of the president of the United States who claims to want to support Ukraine, and he's doing a terrible job selling it. He's having to rely on Republicans like Tom Cotton and Senator Mitch McConnell to be able to make an articulate case for why we're supporting Ukraine. The Democrats won't do it. Joe Biden won't do it. Why is it that the president of the United States wants us to fund Ukraine but then doesn't want to defend it? I, I'm just I'm, I'm flabbergasted by the man's inability to articulate a case that I find is actually pretty easy to make. And that's a damning indictment on this administration that they're unable to do it. They want it, and they can't do it. I agree with some Republicans. We probably need an inspector general. We probably need to do better audits. We probably need to do more to ensure the money is not going into corrupt uh, pockets in Ukraine. But I think it's a fight worth fighting, and I think funding Ukraine is worth funding to keep us from staying out of Europe 
in a military posture and to keep the Russians from spreading beyond Ukraine. But that shouldn't be a case that a talk radio show host in Atlanta, Georgia, is making. That should be a case the president of the United States is making, and the man is incapable of making it. And that means the man probably should step aside and let someone else be president who can rally the world in defense of freedom and use the United States as the arsenal of democracy, which he is incapable of doing. Speaking of the arsenal of democracy, over time, you know, part of that has been just uh, precious metals. And what you get, I'm not talking Bob Menendez here. I'm talking you and your investment portfolio. Swiss America can help you. If you want to get the Walking Liberty half dollar, you can. It's a silver coin printed by the U.S. Mint. It's a gorgeous coin. I've got several of them. You can get them for $13.50 each delivered, up to 250 per customer while supplies last. They're great silver coins as an entryway into precious metal investments as a way to ease the ebbs and flows of stock market and inflation craziness that's out there. Swiss America's been the trustest leader for over 40 years, and you can also get from them their special report, their war on cash, how the government and corporations are conspiring to get you to use plastic and digital currencies and stop using cash so they can better control you. Swiss America has it documented. They got the goods. You can get the report. You can get the coins. You can do it by calling or texting 800 28 800-289-2646 or visit SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. You mention me when you call or text 800-289-2646 or visit SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. If you call or text 800-289-2646, just give them my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Message and data rates may apply. When the world seems crazy, he'll keep you sane. It's the Eric Erickson Show. Join Eric's Army of Activists. Text ARMY to 33777 now. Hi there, it's Eric Erickson here. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They are in Noonan, Georgia, but don't let that deter you. If you're in Kalispell, Montana, they can help your business. If you're in Bangor, Maine or Orlando, Florida, they can as well. If you're buying a building, if you're building a building, if you're buying a franchise, expanding a franchise, buying on a business partner, bringing in new business partners, you need money to grow your business, you see opportunity and banks are twiddling their thumbs. First Liberty makes their own lending decisions. They've been doing this since the early 90s. They want to help businesses grow. If you need $250,000 or more for deals like I've explained, reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's the website. You can get their contact info. Talk to talk to the Frost family. Tell them I sent you. They've been doing this since the 90s. They want to help businesses grow. They might be able to help your business. FirstLibertyGA.com. Now, it is Open Line Friday, and I have spent an hour talking to you. I've got more to say. I, boy, wait till you hear this audio from the Secretary of Education. This should be a Republican campaign ad nationwide. I'll play it when we get back. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. And I am going to ask for prayer. I don't know quite how I stumbled into this. Yours truly has to chaperone a high school homecoming dance tomorrow night. <sighs> so my my daughter, um, I, I really, by the way, this reminds me, those of you in Greenville, South Carolina, and, and in that area, Anderson, Greenville, Spartanburg area, there's a bourbon and bacon festival this evening uh, in Greenville that I expected and intended to be at. And now my daughter made homecoming court. I'm very proud of her. She's a senior. This is her last year in high school. And I got to escort her onto the field tonight. So I can't be with you having bourbon and bacon and cigars tonight. I'm going to be there. And then tomorrow night, I got to chaperone a high school homecoming dance 
And I'm just so excited. Let me tell you, this is my excited voice. May God have mercy on my soul. When we come back to your phone calls and what the Department of Education Secretary said, it's actually really offensive. 